Hello, our beautiful community of down bitches. Joey and I hope you had a wonderful holiday week last week or however you chose to spend the time off. This is actually a scheduled dark week for us, but in our mission to try and be more part of the solution and to use our platform to spread even more awareness of the cases from Disappeared, we've been tirelessly reaching out to families to see how we can further help them find their loved ones. So rather than take a dark week this week or replay an old episode, we are so pleased to be able to bring you a conversation conversation with one of the cases that baffled so many of us, and that was the disappearance of Daniel Robinson. We got the opportunity to sit down with his father, David, and understand a little bit more about the case and things we were very sure that were left out of the episode. So our loyal, generous, kind, hilarious listeners, it is our sincere honor to share with you the conversation that we had with David Robinson ad-free. Thank you. Hello, DBs. We are coming to you with a very special guest for a very special episode. We are so grateful to be given the opportunity to sit down with Daniel Robinson's father, David, and he's here to shed a little bit more light on the case, some things that were left out of the episode or what they got wrong, and share a little bit of his heart and his story. Thank you so much for being here with us, Papa David, and welcome to I Think Not. Thank you so much for having me on. So, Papa David, I wanted to start off by saying we have a tremendous online community. We're very connected to our listeners. They are connected to each other. And when we told our listenership that we would be sitting down and talking to you, we had so many beautiful responses. And we've covered so many of these cases. Episodes have disappeared, and they're all so confusing and tragic in their own way. And I think Daniel's episode really touched a lot of people, definitely confounded a lot of people, but definitely we all felt that your spirit really came through on the show. Also, some people met you at CrimeCon last year and had nothing but lovely things to say about you, your commitment to furthering your son's case, keeping his name out there, and making sure we find out what happened. So we got so many responses. We had so many questions. But I did want to extend the overall sentiment that was expressed by everyone, and that is just condolences to you and your family for what you've had to endure in the name of trying to find out what happened to your son And I just want to tell you that we're here for you. We're here with open ears, open hearts. We want to hear and understand anything more you want to tell us about Daniel as a person, his story, anything you want to share in regards to the investigation and your seemingly nonstop efforts to find Daniel. Uh, yes, again, thanks so much for having me here. Yeah, my son, what can I say? He's uh, he's very much missed. I want to start off that way. Uh, you know, all the things uh, about Daniel, you know, I, I miss it every day. So, you know, you can imagine uh, when you have a missing loved one, that's a bigger part of your life that's actually 
not there. Those moments, um, even the aggravating moments. I had times where I missed where Daniel, I say, man, you're aggravating me right now. You know, <laughs> So, so it's even, even, even the smaller things, yeah, you know, you really miss everything and aspect about a person, the whole dynamics. But Daniel, he's um, as youngest of his siblings. He has uh, twin sisters. He has an older brother. Of course, I've been married twice, so I have a, a younger daughter who's 16, but in that first marriage, uh, his siblings, and he, he was the youngest. And uh, growing up with with his siblings, you know, of course, like any younger child, um, they would like to try to challenge the older children. So Daniel's not 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 no different at all. Self, many people may uh, recognize, you know, if you you know that Daniel was born without a right hand. So of course, you know, says some people would see that as some type of difficulties or something that would kind of you know kind of bring hold them back on things like that. Even as a parent, we first uh, learned that Daniel was, was that way. Uh, of course, it was a challenge for us as a parent. You know, things when I say challenge is more thinking of ahead, like hey, uh, how well he would do in school, how he would uh, be with his peers and things like that. But it never bothered Daniel. Never bothered Daniel. But one time, Daniel asked a question to his mother uh what happened to his hand once he's like look i guess looking at the siblings and look at himself and after that he didn't answer any of those questions first thing daniel have shown us that hey i don't even want the prosthetics i want to be who i am as a person so he's very accepting of himself uh like i say very challenging to everything so growing up in life of course um watching him grow up he learned how to play the french horn for instance he taught himself played the trumpet um you know he played a little sports he did a little bit of everything that he wanted to do go fishing to you name it that's physically but uh but everything else uh academically he always excelled, even from um, junior high school or elementary to junior high school, high school. Uh, he always getting awards for everything. You know, he's uh, he was part of the, um, I can't think of the name of it right now, but uh, but he has di- different programs, academic programs to get him in college uh, where he was going to the College of Charleston, where he decided to go into geology. And, um, and like I said, he's uh, uh, one thing college and go back in college. He Gained a lot of friends very quickly. Siblings, uh, twins was going to uh, college with him at the time. They say, hey, Dad, look, Daniel, they can walk down the street. Everybody know who Daniel is. He's just one of those people who actually draws people and things like that. So uh, in the school, he also one of the founders of his fraternity. And also he, when he graduated, he graduated with honors. And then uh, eventually, as you guys know, took his career out to Arizona, to Phoenix, Arizona, where he landed his first job with an engineering company called Matrix New World, also called Matrix Southwest Groundwater. Um, and they hired him on as a field geologist, also a, uh, it's called a hydrogeologist, is where Daniel eventually have gone missing uh, doing that job. I have to tell you on the episode, it is very clear how amazing Daniel is and how loved he is. I hope, um, I can only pray that my family speaks about me when I'm not in the room the same way that you all speak about Daniel. Um, he just seems so resilient and kind, but like loved, just so loved. He is. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, something that you said that is so interesting to me, we've spoken to a lot of families sometimes just through email or text or sitting down with them. But something that you mentioned is so interesting. I've never really thought about it. In a state of grief, your grief is so intense and inexplicable. When you think about how much you would miss that person, you'd even take the bad times, right? right. right. 
You know, it's I've never right. thought about it in those terms because on the episodes, of course, we see home movies and pictures of vacations and all the good times and everyone is smiling. And I'd never considered that, of course, you would even take the That's bad right. times, the, the hard times, the arguments or the times where you're just like, oh, you're driving That's me right. crazy. <laughs> yeah, the whole family dynamics is uh, very important. Yeah, it's, it's very much missed. Uh, Daniel Corsi's. He's he's the youngest. Uh, just as a parent, you probably uh, you know you guys. It look like you probably already still in college. But, <laughs> so young uh, but but you know, for me as a parent, you know, just the whole thing of uh, you know when a child grow up and you think like, hey, they going to college. Oh, less money, less this, yeah. less that. But oh my gosh, if I can tell you guys how much it costs me to get Daniel through and yeah. and his siblings, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, but to actually see Daniel do some, for instance, uh, just a little short piece yeah. is when he was in college, he he often liked to go out and hang out with his friends. And uh, I remember one time he called me. I know he played me really well. <laughs> Dad, I'm, I'm hungry. I need some food. I need some food. And, you know, of course, what parent going to yeah. deny that, you know? Um, I, I gave him some money for food, and I promised you guys, it seemed like an hour or so late, I happened to be on Instagram, and he was partying up. I'm like, I know he's not partying with my money, you know. <laughs> so so I'm saying I miss those. Those things, um, some of those dynamics, I'm yeah. saying, that where uh, as a parent, I'm like, man, you partying. I want you to get these grades and make sure, you you know, you're graduating. You know, use that money, you know, go to school and take what we're giving you and use it wisely. But I, I take those the hair pulling moments any day, you know, saying that to uh, have a missing loved one. Yeah, that certainly puts yeah. a lot into perspective, doesn't it? So, David, when we spoke the other day, I sort of shared some of my thoughts as an observer, as a, a watcher of the TV show in regards to the investigation of Daniel's disappearance. And I explained to you how it was very clear to us that the investigation seemed sloppy or unfinished. And you actually told me about some additional details and circumstances around it. Would you mind going into a couple of those things for us? Well, you know, uh, first of all, I, you know, if I wanted to go to the actual beginning, the problem I have off on the case is the fact that, you know, a lot of times people don't want to take that, that case seriously. So that was, that was already damaging enough. Um, the searches that wasn't done initially was damaged enough. But one of the biggest things, you know, for me, when it comes in terms of uh, things are not done properly, you know, cell phone pings is one of the biggest things that um, I think the first go to for anybody is say, hey, look, with all the technology we have, especially in t- here it is 2023 um, and, and some years back, the technology we have will answer a lot of questions really quickly. So those things that haven't been grabbed as it grabbed really quickly and everybody know that uh, a lot of these retention times with the uh, telecommunication, they, they don't, ret- don't hold things. I know people say, hey, look, nothing ever disappeared. That's true. But these telecommunications by law only can retain them for a length of time. Now, after that, I don't know if something could be done by the federal government, but just loss of those things, those those are sloppy work. This 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 assumptions and things like that. As you guys know, moving on forward, whenever the vehicle finally showed up, all evidence is important. Every information is important in the case. Um, as we know, the first per- the only person who found my son's vehicle was the rancher. For instance, uh, he's the one located the vehicle. So anything this guy says should be taken into consideration up front. I noticed that the law enforcement 
only want to say, hey, it was found on July the 19th, for instance. Forget the, the 7th when the eyewitness say that vehicle wasn't there. You know, this really sloppy work, and I can keep going on, so it depends on what area you're talking about. It's so much of uh, sloppy work done in Dane's case. Something that you told me the other day that was really shocking was the state of his room. So for our listeners, if you remember, they really mapped it out like Daniel was in a state of depression, and we've all been there, and it was COVID, and we've all felt sad at times and you know sometimes you don't shower you wear the same clothes so when we heard it on the episode that wasn't very shocking to us because it was COVID and everybody was struggling but you actually told me some different bit of information could you elaborate on that? Yeah, and I want to I want to backtrack a little too. You know, one of the things is, uh, you know, my son's case has been heavily uh, sensationalized, and uh, you know, uh, one of the things is the, the focus at the beginning was on yeah. Daniel's mental health for whatever reason, and I, I get it. Sometimes people go missing because of, of, of mental health reasons, but that was not the case. As I told you, um, you know, the conversation I had two days before Daniel uh, with missing didn't indicate any of that. My daughter and I had to sit there for almost 30 minutes in the interrogation room of the law enforcement to come up with something. And they utilized that and they put that in the report. So I guess that kind of fed some of those narratives that was out there already. Uh, so when these episodes came out, like uh, Discovery ID, for instance, um, when those episodes come out, you know, of course, everything is, is, is geared into that narrative that's already there from law enforcement, where they put in their report. Anything law enforcement put in, that's what's going to be uh, actually the public's going to grab and hold hold on too strongly. So, of course, um, it's a lot of things in the episode. Like I told you before, I really appreciate Discovery ID for uh, their constant showing of, of Daniel's case. Uh, that's keeping it out there because that's very important for anybody who has missed loved ones. The problem I had with the thing is, uh, first of all, I want to say up front, I, ha- I have not been taking an interview with that uh, show. I didn't do an interview at all. They took pieces of clip I had done previously with, uh, I guess, their affiliates. Right. But my da- my son's daughter, uh, his mother and his brother, of course, they have featured on that episode. And, you know, I, I, like I told you, I'm not, of course, I'm, we have, this is a family dynamics. It's a lot of, a lot of things people don't know what happens with families when you have a missing loved one. But one thing I, I'm not taking away from his mother, his brother, but they haven't been in Arizona. They haven't been in Daniel's apartment. They haven't seen um, I, anything. I've been doing all the investigations. So I'm here, in, well, I was in Arizona at the time, you know, constantly working with my investigator. So we have all the evidence and information. So a lot of the, a lot of the interview was like third party, a hearsay uh, type information. So one thing that bothered me the most, uh, of course, some things were inaccurate in that episode. Just a little small that can just be dismissed. It's nothing really that tragic. But the biggest part was uh, more so me as a father had to protect Daniel's integrity. He's a brilliant scientist. He's very intelligent. He don't have any emotional issues. And I had to I had to make sure that he's okay. Uh, the episode, for instance, showed that uh, they said his kitchen was a mess. It was, had dishes all over the sink and had trash coming out, you know, of his trash can. When I saw those things, it really hurt my feelings, you know, uh, because it was farther from the truth. And, um, and, you know, his mother would say, hey, that reflects on his state of mind when he went missing and things like that. So they, when, I don't know where they got the pictures from and, and the uh, impressions of Daniel's apartment, but it was far from um, the realities of what Daniel's apartment looked like. So I had to go out, believe it or not, I had to go and dig into evidence that I didn't want to show up, share with the public mm-hmm. to show the public, hey, this is what Daniel's apartment looked like. So I was able to share his his uh, living room is for a guy. His living room is clean. He don't have the <laughs> best furniture and, you know, some pretty drapes up and this and that. But he's a guy, a young guy. And um, 
but it was clean. Nothing on the floor. Everything's in his right proper place. Uh, in his kitchen, very clean. The, the counter was clean. Only one dish in the sink, and that was because I guess he was leaving out that morning. He ate something and said they probably intended to wash it. The trash, not all the places in the bag. Trash being like it's supposed to be and covered up. Um, you know, just everything. I had to show those things. But one thing that did stick out, and I had help people understand, I think his mother and his brother got confused when I was telling them his room was a mess. I was telling Daniel's mother how uh, when law enforcement and my investigators showed me pictures, you know, as a parent, the first thing you say, oh, my God, you embarrassing. They say, oh, yeah, this is room. Like, oh, my God, this is right. embarrassing. You know, we did, we taught them better than this, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, but they, my investigator explained to me that uh, it was appearance. No, it's not. Daddy was being messy. It was he was showing me evidence from his closet to his his bedroom of someone actually in his apartment looking for something. We didn't know if it was Daniel at the time or not, but we just know someone was looking for something because they pulled everything off. I mean, his room was a mess. Uh, you go into the closet, something I still haven't shown to the uh, public. Go in the closet and you see things that was taken down in his closet that uh, you know would indicate as well somebody's in there looking for something. But we at the time we could not say it wasn't Daniel. Because, hey, look, this is our first time getting an apartment. He could have done that before he went to work that morning. We wasn't sure. So later on, like once my investigator left, later on in my investigation, I was able to sit down with the Tempe Police Department. I don't know if you guys ever heard of Tempe, Arizona, but Daniel was living in Tempe at the time. Yeah. I was able to talk with the uh, Tempe uh, mayor, Mayor Woods, uh, there. I had a meeting with him along with both Chief, Chief Anderson and Glover at the time of the Tempe Police Department. And I was able to, with my team, we're able to uh, convince them to do us a favor. You know, do me a favor to get the uh, forensics done on my son's electronics. I mean, everything, even redo the cell phone and get the uh, get data that we can get from that law enforcement. When I say law enforcement, Buckeye Police Department did not do. So they did not run. Buckeye Police Department ran no forensics at all. They haven't done any forensics um, without me asking them to. To, uh, they did okay. one one thing they did uh, at the scene when the crime, I call it the crime scene. They have not wow. done any forensic at all. That's really interesting. Yeah. At the time. But after a few days after I in a meeting, yes, in a meeting, I was, you know, able to direct them to do. Uh, I asked for fingerprinting. I didn't know what to ask for. I asked for fingerprinting. What they did is swap the uh, steer wheel and uh, the shifter. That's the only forensic they have done. Uh, they have cloned Daniel's phone. They told me they cloned his phone. I don't even know if that's uh, really uh, legally correct for them to do it that way. The way they did it, uh, but they said they cloned his phone and they gave it back to me. And as guys know, Daniel's phone was missing the memory card that I got to him, gave him uh, a few months ago before he went missing. It was uh, wiped up his Google search histories to uh, Google Maps. Everything about the young lady Caitlin was wiped out of phone except for her phone number and um, of course her name. Uh, you know, things like that was wiped out of that phone. His search history, his GPS yes. history, yes. all of yes. his texts or just the texts with the girl were wiped? Just the girl. Everything else, our texts, his friends, his family, everything's intact except for with the young lady. Now, you know, and that's the thing But law enforcement say, hey, no problem. We don't see nothing wrong with this, you know, that type deal. But, you know, missing uh, a lot of key things in his phone. So that's why I really had Tempe to uh, reexamine that phone. Uh, to go through and uh, hopefully found something, which they did. They found some information, not just on the cell phone, but uh, they found information on Daniel's personal computers at home. He had just, just finished building that computer. Um, the last time I spoke to him, two days prior, and on that computer, it showed that uh, someone was actually Google searching, uh, that was going through his files. And I have the date, of course, I cannot give it publicly right now, sure. but uh, sure. we have a date where these things were done, and it was done way after uh, Daniel went missing.
So somebody was in his uh, apartment, in his computer, but we didn't have access as a family at the time. Law enforcement didn't even have uh, access at the time. But someone's in his apartment uh, going through his computer. So putting those that together, it's common sense to say, hey, it just obviously happened at the same time this person was. Now we have a little time and date where, uh, like I told my investigator, somebody was in Danny's apartment looking for something. But now we can tie those things together because of the forensics on the uh, electronics that would say, hey, somebody was in here this time doing all of this stuff. Right. So they're looking for something. So that's where we're at on that that behalf. Did you have a question, Joey? No, I'm just processing what you're saying um, in real time. I'm like, wow, that's wild. I have two questions. Yes. I know you, obviously, we don't know, but did it look like his room was ransacked or did it look like a messy kid? It looked like his ransacked once the investigation showed. I just looked at the picture real quick and I just dismissed it. But he actually showed me. He said, hey, look, Dave, you know, he, he because of course he examined the apartment as well, did his own forensics on that apartment. But he, he showed me, like, for instance, one example, uh, Daniels was vacuuming his floor, right? His vacuum cleaner was still plugged up. His vacuum, but everything was thrown on top of the vacuum cleaner. Nobody vacuumed the floor with the, right. the vacuum cleaner with things thrown on top. That's one thing. Sure. So yeah, that was done after the vacuum cleaner was there. So he's showing me how things were done after certain things without going into de- other details. But just the drawers being pulled out. Why those drawers on this side of the room when it goes into this area? So those shows indications of things being moved and looked in, and you know and thrown out and things like that. So we was able to see that, you know, underwear and everything. Somebody was tearing up the place and trying to look for something. Wow. And then when you say that to the cops, what do the cops say? Oh, just he's a young, messy boy. You know, when I look at something, I think, okay, this, but also what about this? And and I'm just a podcast. I'm just a person with a microphone. So did the right. cops, they just said, oh, your kid's messy? And he said he's a little messy. That's how you put it. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, yeah. Yeah, I think he's, you know, Daniel's a little messy. You know, his room, his apartment looked, you know, really um, okay, which it was. And he said, yeah, but his room, he said, is he a messy kid? I said, eh, not really. You know, we told him this. He said, well, his room was a little messy. That's how he put it, you know. But then when he showed mm-hmm. me pictures, I'm like, oh, my God. Said, no, no, I think it's a little messy. Ain't nothing, you know, there, there, there. That's how he felt. Right. Yeah. Yes. Listen, I'm a 43-year-old man. A single 43-year-old man. Oh, wow. And if somebody was... You're a lot younger than that. Thank you very much. I would say that if someone came into my apartment uh, at times where, you know, life happens, you're so busy, and they took a screenshot of it out of context, they might be like, is Joey okay? <laughs> I mean, right, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. life yeah. happens. Right. These things happen. It does. I have a question for you, and I know this is an open investigation, so perhaps you can't comment on it. But do you have any idea of who or why someone would be going through Daniel's apartment and his things? You know, that's the thing question uh, that I'm looking for. Uh, You know, but I tell you, you know, unlike I don't know what law enforcement doing, so I'm not going to speak for them. But I can't speak for my own investigation. I have information from the Waffle House. Um, You guys know before the day he went missing, uh, the Waffle House. I have information also from. You don't hear anything in the police report, um, and I'm surprised. I'm just waiting on law enforcement to catch up. <laughs> they got to catch up to you. <laughs> right, yeah. For, I mean, you know, I, I'm not saying in, in a condescending way, but the thing is, uh, you know, I had to go through 
hell, excuse my expression, to get information from Google, from what he'd done the day before, before his phone actually uh, stopped uh, generating anything. So I got a lot of information that I hope law enforcement have as well. Let me use an example. Uh, before Daniel went missing, well, when Daniel went missing, the narrative was that from Ken, the guy at the well site said, hey, look, he's talking about I need to go back to, you want to go to Phoenix and rest. At the time when I was looking at Daniel, when I got that Google stuff, I said, maybe I mean, anybody is tired if you was doing what Daniel was doing because I, I have I have information through his Google that I was able to finally retrieve that he was uh, moving around in certain areas. I can't tell you guys where, but he was moving around a certain area almost all night. You know, so of course, if you're going to work at six o'clock in the morning after all of that activity at night, you'll be tired. You know, so you probably want to go home and get some rest. You know, he's had the ability to shut, you know, with his position to shut that site down for the day and go get some rest. You know, so that's what he probably meant by that. If, which I don't believe the story, if the uh, story went that way. So I'm saying is, um, I kind of look at uh, what law enforcement missed with the Google history that would explain a lot of things uh, coming up to. Dane's being missing. Yeah, they didn't even mention anything about the Google history or anything. Something that really confused me in the episode and then in some of my side research that I found on several pages that you had contributed to, there were a lot of contributing factors as to the conclusion that was made regarding how fast he was going because there was no way he could have been going fast enough on that kind of terrain to make the kind of impact that we saw on the car. And you had mentioned there was a little bit more information that came out about that, wasn't there? Look, when the vehicle first showed up, of course, everything for me was reliant on Buckeye Police Department. You know, they, hey, they told me, hey, your son had a uh, rollover and he, uh, he, was, he wasn't hurt. That's how they say because they didn't see no blood in the vehicle with the eyes. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they believe he had a head injury. You guys know the story. He shredded his clothes off. That's why it's three feet away from the vehicle. Now, you know, but hearing that, and also my son joined, may have joined the monastery, become a monk, that type deal. <laughs> of course, hearing all that craziness uh, from law enforcement, yeah. I, I decided to get my own PI who was able to uh, come aboard and um, uh, go to law enforcement to get whatever they have, um, information. Of course, they say they went investigating, so they gave him the black box data that they didn't know how to read it themselves, you know, and in, in, in the vehicle. I was able to get the vehicle out of there as well because, they, you know, they already gave it to him. I just needed to pull it out of the compound. Uh, but what, what he found is um, a lot of information on Daniel's Jeep, uh, on that Jeep, you know, saying those 11 additional miles to 46 initial cycles after the vehicle showed, you know, showed up and everything. Yeah. So all that information was based on what my investigator found, right? But what I'm saying, when you was asking the question about the distance and the speed, no, it was impossible for a vehicle to get the speed that law enforcement want to rely on to date, saying that his vehicle got up near 30-some miles per hour, steady foot pedal on that on that gas pedal, going down that 20-foot ravine where it rested at the bottom, hit the bottom, the air pad deployed, and that's where the vehicle sat the whole entire time. It's, it's, it's impossible, you guys, because um, my investigator now, he did the distance. Of course, he was actually on the scene. He actually did the the measurements. Being an S in the reconstructionist, he see that with the landscape. If you want to, like, just think about a runway. It's impossible for a vehicle to go through a desert terrain uh, with cacti, you know, uh, uh, creel to- uh bushes and everything, and be able to get that speed in a little small landscape. Get a, get that speed to go down into that ravine at that. 30-some miles per hour. We tried it with desert vehicles. It was impossible. Light-weighted vehicles, it was impossible. Even with those vehicles made for that terrain. So how uh, a uh, SUV-type vehicle be able to do so? 
and press and also to keep a steady pressure on that because you know the black box delta shows that uh that steady pressure on that gas pedal because if can you imagine hitting desert spring you bouncing all over the place so yeah. your foot kind of be jumping it's not going to have a, a steady pressing so law enforcement doing sloppy work i think is work to actually just dismiss things instead of taking the evidence for what they really are and put them all together and because if you put it all together you see that what my investigator found was is a stage event the vehicle wasn't there for 30 days we have an eyewitness the guy who found it as well as the data and everything that goes along with it uh doesn't match it being there for 30 days of course so one thing i want to throw out real quick too Law enforcement was unaccepting of the information that we gave them. They decided to dismiss it and go get their own second opinion. What they did is hired a private investigator of their own, uh, another accident reconstruction. Instead of accepting what my accident reconstruction gave them, they, in evidence, hard evidence, they decided to go out uh, three months after we gave it to them, go out and get their own private investigator to rebut. That's the only thing you can look at, rebut, rebut anything that my investigator found. And, and the crazy part of the kicker to this this guy have never, I've said this way because I've tried to be facetious with it. He never seen, taste, smell, or anything in my son's vehicle. He didn't even ask me to date to even examine my son's vehicle. Never physically seen it, but going by third parties' pictures and things. Uh, he went to a dealership, not the manufacturer, went to a dealership to, F, uh, to rebut information about the uh, mileage. Uh, matching the dash on the computer, uh, matching the dash. Things like that. So they're doing work. They know it's going to go into the police report, and then the public going to read the police report and say, uh-huh, what the police say is exactly what it is. Right. This guy have never to date seen my son's vehicle, never touch it, smell it, taste it, or did any kind of examination. I'm not even sure he went out there in the desert to even see the distance and the impossibility for that vehicle to get, to get that speed up to get down the ravine. You know, my question is, why do you think the police rejected the findings of your of your investigator? Why, why did they push back so hard on that? You know, I've been trying to figure that out from day one. Once I started realizing that uh, Buckeye Police Department is not in doing anything in favor for my son, I, I'll be honest with you guys, uh, it got to a point where I'm investigating them as well. You know what I'm saying? Any, mm. certain, anything that comes up to me in my investigation that, that shows anything wrong, uh, I look at it as, as a suspect. I look at law enforcement as a suspect. And I hate to say that, but it was the facts. Uh, I'm going to tell you the reasons why. One of the things that stood out in the motives, I'm saying the motives as well. One thing that stood out to me when I investigated the Buckeye Police Department, we have, uh, Chief Larry Hall, he's the chief of police there. He's uh, He's been suspended for falsifying documents. That that department known about wow. known to falsify documents. I mean, this you can go, guys can Google that as well. Oh, wow. uh, you can find that. He's been suspended. One guy that was with him doing this deed, uh, actually quit, you know, so I guess to keep his pensions or something. I don't know, but one quit as well. But it kind of stuns me that the the uh, whole the, the the Buckeye Police Department, as well as the what's the name of those people, the city manager, keeping this guy on board, keeping this chief on board, it, it, it's amazing. After all of this, this falsifying the uh, they got caught trying to bring down crime statistics is what the problem is, you guys. Wow. And so just looking at some of those things is, and also you guys some relations that the chief has with people involved when I've been getting into my son's case. So there's a lot of things that's there uh, that I was looking at like, hey, you know, this may be some of the reasons why they are very hard on trying to put my son's vehicle there for 30 days for whatever reason. They've been telling me this before they even got evidence. You know, hey, it's been here for 30 days. We found a hard hat with rainwater in it and, you know, all kind of crazy stuff. They told me from day one without doing forensics without talking to witnesses, without doing, they wanted this vehicle there for 30 days for whatever reason. And that's some of the reasons why I feel 
as law enforcement, I say law enforcement Buckeye, as doing a cover-up or, so, or, or some form of fashion. Yeah, that's why I look at them as certain what suspects in those in those, uh, those areas. I mean, we see it all the time. They make right. a narrative, they decide what happens, yeah. and it's the cognitive dissonance. It just, they keep going on that way. No, 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 this is that. And every we see it time and time again because no one wants to admit they're wrong. No one wants to admit that they didn't investigate, that they didn't, you know, look through his apartment that they didn't properly invest. Nobody wants to say, oh, you know why that happened? Because I didn't do my job very well. Right. And then right. it's that ego. That's right, ego. Too. Of yeah. not being able to be wrong. And sometimes I feel, I don't want to put my feelings on you, obviously, but I feel like they forget that there's real humans behind this. It's not a piece of paper right. and it's not just a story. Right. It's somebody's life. It's someone's son. It's someone's brother or mother or daughter, whatever the case may be. The humanity goes away and it all becomes about signing the box, putting the file away. Is that, you know, and I want to say too, you know, could you imagine? And you know, I, I maybe, you know, I, I don't want. I guess I don't want to believe. Uh, less it's my father, who I can say to my dad. <laughs> uh, but outside of that, I can't believe any parent, good parent, I'll put it that way, would not want to be doing exactly what I've been doing for Daniel, right? Yeah. Could you imagine if I never went out to Arizona when they told me, "Hey, uh, we're not going to search for your son. You know, he's a grown man; he can disappear if we want to." Yeah. And I got in my car and started driving 2,000 miles to get to Arizona. Now, imagine if I haven't done that, you guys. I, I'll tell people this all the time. When, when that vehicle showed up, this is exactly what law enforcement did. They, they took it off their Facebook. I still got a copy of this. Uh, they put it on their Facebook page telling the public we have no more leads to follow. They're done with Daniel Case. It ain't nothing else to find. At the same time, there was also in the meeting gave me everything. The vehicle was found on July the nineteenth. They gave me the vehicle on July the twentieth, um, the day that they showed it, showed me the vehicle. Right, told me if I didn't get it out of their compound, they're gonna have a tow and I had to pay storage fees. I, I just couldn't get it out quickly enough. I told SM, can they hold it for three days? But in that meeting, within that three days, I was able to find all this information. Now, if I was one of those fathers that had just left, left, um, because they, they, when they gave me the vehicle, it's almost like they're saying. Well, there's nothing else to see here, Ms. Robin. We tried our best. Good luck to you. Go back to South Carolina and carry things. Wow. So if I would have just gave yeah. up and went back to South Carolina and didn't fight, didn't get an investigator, didn't get my son's case on a, on some type of um, national level, we wouldn't be talking right now about this. It would have been a cold case yep. done and, and et cetera. So that's yep. what I'm saying is important to me for any family to push. You got you to push hard on law enforcement because, yes, if you walk away, it's easy. It's give them good shade to. I could be lazy, like you said, being lazy or whatever narrative they came up with with the ego trip or whatever the case may be. They'll just stick with that and that'll be done. You know. So yeah. we have to be really uh, pushing, very, very, yeah. you know, forwarding. Keep on fighting for your loved one. You have to. I will say, I I'm so glad that Daniel has you in his corner. Yeah. You know, it's it's amazing the things that you've done. I wanted to ask you, is there anything else on the episode that they got wrong that you want to clear up? Anything else that you want the public to know in regard to this case? Well, you know, there's some of the little smaller details, like, you know, time when certain things happen. I can't, I, I have, it's been so long since I watched, I, I watched that episode uh, and when I saw the room part, it just threw my mind and I said, you know, I'm not watching it again. Yeah. So it, it's some things I knew when I was watching initially. Yeah. I said, oh, they got this wrong, they got the wrong. Then they got to that part of with Daniel's mother and his brother and they was talking about how his place was disarray. That just blew my mind. So I was sticking with that part. So I don't really have a whole lot to say, but it, it was some things like detail time-wise that, 
make the difference, but not too big of a difference. But uh, definitely, I don't want people to have that impression that Daniel was in some real high state of depression when that was further from the truth. Even the fact that law enforcement, you guys may have read somewhere uh, where law enforcement said the father said he was in love with a woman he didn't know. I never said that. And I've been trying to get law enforcement to take that out. They report they still refusing to. I have never said anything. My daughter have never said it. He never used the word love. And I will can I can share with you guys. It's coming pretty soon so you guys can watch out for that. I've been trying my best to edit some of the things that me and Daniel talk about. I recorded our last two-hour conversation. And, um, I, but you know, I talk to my son freely the way I like to talk. So you might hear some, some words and things and the way how we talk. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So I'm really trying to ways to try to edit some things out and let people hear from Daniel's own voice uh, what he had to say about the young lady and never use the word love. Yeah. That's the first time I've ever heard about the young lady, for instance, never used no word love. I mean, he wasn't love with a woman. He didn't know. So like I said, those are things that sensationalize in my son's case and, and and uh, give people the uh, impression that he's a, like an unstable guy yeah. somehow. No, he's a brilliant scientist. You know, saying not saying I'm. You know, I know I sound biased. I am a father. I'm supposed to do this. I have to speak for Dane. Like you were saying, you glad I'm in his corner. I have to speak for my son. He yeah. don't have a voice, and I'm just not gonna let yeah. anybody just uh, make him out of someone he's not. So I have to be really, you know, really forceful on that part. I have a, a question from one of our listeners. My friend Aaron. Now, because he was a geologist and he was doing things, finding new ways to source water in Arizona. I mean, I'm I'm dumbing that down. I'm not a scientist. Aaron's question is, and, and you have a military background, yeah. and because Daniel was a geologist, do you think? Now, I know this is kind of out there, but you know, this is what we're here to do. We're here to kind of like think of all these things. Do you think that he got? too close to any kind of information, anything that might have had to do with the government, anything scientific that he was onto that could have put his life in danger in any way? Yeah, well, you know, uh, investigating Dana's case for me as a father, I don't dismiss anything, any possibilities, whether it's drug cartels to human trafficking to you name it. Government, I don't know. But I can't go only by, by facts what I, I found so far. And uh, some of those things, um, I look for motives uh, based on some information I do have that I can't share with public. I look for motives. And one thing I can say that's common sense and evidence is very evidence is very open. So everybody should be able to um, understand this. Daniel's job was, was a, is a geologist, to hydrogeologist, actually, uh, for the company to go out and assess water, how much water can come out of this ground. As everybody knows, Arizona is a desert state and by law. Any community in that state had to have at least 100 years of water or un of groundwater uh, supply. These groundwaters uh, recharge itself, and he's a scientist. They, they know how this, these groundwater recharge itself, and they had to do it, do it every 100 years, within that 100 years, to sustain water, right? So his job is to determine that, and he's been working on this plant, this, uh, this project for a while. I found that out recently. It's a little longer than I thought, but he wasn't out there, that, that one well site, but he was out there working on the site. So they were working on that for a while. I'm going to give you another little tea leaves, too, as well, that's going on. I'm investigating as well. Another person passed away at that same well site my son was missing. One of the other workers died at that, that well site. I, I was able to get in contact with those person's attorney right now. But but that person died. Daniel was actually replacing when he got hired on to that company, that, that person. So one of the things I have found, it was something exclusive for you guys because this is the first time I'm actually saying this. But the thing is, um, his job is important, right, to determine if those groundwaters can actually sustain the community 
that this big corporation, the Howard Hughes Corporation, I don't know if you guys heard of Howard Hughes Corporation, but the big Howard Hughes Corporation come in, some European country uh, developers are coming in to build this big area called a uh, smart city. It's called Travellas. And I mean, it's beautiful, you guys. If you go check it out, it's real beautiful. It's um, energy efficiency and all this kind of stuff, wow. uh, technical stuff. But this place is, is bringing it's the fastest growing, Buckeye's the fastest growing city in the United States, and it's supposed to um, house a lot of people. And so, make a long story, they can make a lot of money off of that, of course. If it's determined that water can sustain a community, right. then they can then build they can on build it. it. Right. Then they can make money, make right. us, got it, got it. Right. But the thing is, the key part of that, and I say the motive is, that because of that, Daniel, he's the kind of guy, he's a young geologist, think about this, coming out of college, he's wanting to do his job right. He, he always talked to me about how he wanted to be an entrepreneur, start his own stuff with geology and things like that. So, you know, he's a guy that's going to actually, come, he come from a family that's going to tell the truth, he's going to look out for people, he's a people person, that's what he is. So, uh, of course, I'm sure he knew this area did not, was able to sustain water. And the reason why because when I in my investigation, I found that Daniel at the first well site, something he hadn't done before. I went through his phone. And I'm looking through things. He took pictures of logs. Yeah. And I tried to get some geologists, um, one in North, uh, one in New York, to try to look at it. But he's a little something weird about. It. I didn't do it. But but it was something that. But I'm saying, you know, I hate to say it that way. But he he, he gave me sometimes you gotta go by your gut feeling, you know, and it didn't set off right. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to get his information to figure out why he took pictures of these laws. And I think he, he took pictures of it. So he could probably argue with somebody like, it ain't enough water for them to build this thing. And he wanted to prove his point, but he was taking a picture. I don't know why. That's what I'm assuming. This is my assumptions, you know. I don't know exactly what he's thinking, but that's what I'm thinking, why he probably took those pictures of that, that law. But we found out after Daniel went missing that the information, because I, I know his company's asking me for a while now. It should still be in this vehicle. There's asking me for these samples that come out that well. Hey, uh, can we get that stuff out of this vehicle? No. I told them no. It's to this date, no. They cannot get anything from Daniel's vehicle. But the thing is, you know, the whole fact that Daniel's job is to determine that, I found out that that place could not sustain this community. And the reason where I found out, this crazy part, you guys, the mayor of um, Arizona at the time, I mean, I'm sorry, the governor of Arizona at this time was hiding that report. And that report was actually done when my son went missing. I found out it was, it was in June. And the only reason why the public was able to finally get that report is because that that the governor lost the election. Wow. And the new governor came in, found that, and was upset because ASU State University was looking for the, this um, information. All these other um, entities were looking for the information. And they released it. When they released it, found out it was in June. How ironic is that? It was a June report. They've been, they've been hiding for months. So they can try to start developing this land. Because when I was out there in the desert, that's why I don't have the desert, uh, the, the search coming out. I'm supposed to have search this month here. I had a hard time because they're not letting me back out of the land because they actually start tearing that land up uh, to, do, to do this development. So I, I said, I look at those things as motives uh, to what possibly could have happened, the reason why things happened to my son. So I, I look at those things as well. Yeah. Wow. That is wild. You, and you have yeah. to look into it. Yeah, you have to. Right. Yes. Wow. I, that is eye opening to say the least. I don't think I was expecting that, but that gives me so many things to think about and so many more okay. questions to ask. That does seem suspicious. David, you have been so generous with your time and your candor and your vulnerability. We can't thank you enough. 
We just thank you so much for taking the time to explain to us further sure. and answer our questions. But we do have one more really pressing question and was the number one question. And this does not have to be the last time we chat. I hope you will come back and give us any information that you have. Our platform is your platform. I appreciate that. You let us know whatever we can do to support you and help you find answers. But the number one question we did receive from everyone is <laughs> how can we help? Do you need us to email people? Do you need us to call people? Do you need us to show up somewhere with pitchforks, you have no idea how loving and supportive this community is. And let me tell you, these people will will do it. They will they will find anything out. That I promise you. And I don't like to speak in absolutes, but I will tell you anything you tell us to do, this community is here for you and will absolutely make sure it happens. So yeah. tell us how we can support you and how we can help you find Daniel. Well, you know, uh, it, it's several things. Uh, keep support. That's one thing. Like, share, subscribe. Do whatever everybody does already. And I really appreciate everybody. I mean, I call this a grassroots thing. And I call everybody my extended family because, uh, you know, they are. you have to be family when you're supporting someone you don't know. Uh, you care about my son um, just like he's your own. So, yes, we are family. So one of the things um, I do, and I, I did write a list of why you kind of see me looking off um, of things so I can not forget. One thing is to sign, uh, put your voice, I let's say put your voice to the petition, um, you know, to go to pleasehelpfinddaniel.com, and there's a petition button there. Everybody can put their voice to that petition because I am working with some state officials. I'm working, trying to go back to this, turn the journal office again. And, and every time I do things like that, I have everybody's backing. So you go on there and you look at the petition and see if you agree with everything I have been doing from day one, my advocacy to et cetera. Yeah, put your voice to it. You can do it multiple times. You have multiple email addresses. Change org of course you can do it multiple times uh, with your uh, email address uh, you know just put your voice to that because that's to help me to say hey I got these thousands of people backing me on what I'm doing also the uh, request for flyers if you guys anybody want to help me get these flyers out because that's been key I mean I have been reaching out to a lot of people through flyer distribution I put thousands and thousands of flyers all across this country and yet even with those thousands thousands of flyers going across the country I could be in Arizona in Buckeye I could be in, in Phoenix I could be in uh, Tempe and somebody say I didn't even hear of Daniel's case and they shop you know and they've been there all their life so uh, it's always room to get information out there because in my mind you know just like I was when I was in the desert information gets out I I, I, everybody who knows about Daniel Casey is my eyes and my ears. They looking and listening. And so we need to get the Daniel's flyers out there everywhere to reach that person that may know something yeah. that had so happened to be passing by the desert that day. Yeah. And it was in a U-Haul truck, the way I like to say it. And they moving on. They live in Florida somewhere down in a, a small city somewhere. Yeah, we need to get these flyers out to reach that person and say, you know what? I remember this guy. Or if Daniel's out there yeah. somewhere, somebody can locate him as well. So that's one thing. The flyer distribution as uh, well is very important in the way you can do that is, like I said, request the flyers uh, by going to pleasehelpfinddaniel at yahoo.com and request, and I can, you know, send those flyers out to you. Or you can go to the website, pleasehelpfinddaniel.com, and you can print them out yourself. That's a print button there for the flyers. Also, I have a mail-in protest. You go to pleasehelpfinddaniel.com. There's a mail-in protest, something I've been doing for uh, at least about three months now, helping people to go in and protest. You'll see the little picket signs um, that you can download. That's the same picket sign when I had a physical protest um, when they're going to be created to go in front of the police departments. But I need this in there every day. I need thousands thousands of these letters going out to these apartments every day as possible. So 
anybody have time and they just want to help donate in that kind of way, that's I look at it as a donation to get get paper and print and mm-hmm. put an envelope and you know send off. Yeah. If you guys want to donate in that way, that it will help me out get those uh, letters into these departments so they won't forget Daniel Robson. They won't let this case become a cold case. They'll actually be working on that case. Also, a volunteer in other ways tab on pleasehelpfinddaniel.com. I have been um, looking for people who can who have different skill sets. Like, for instance, what you guys are doing, uh, content creating. I'm not good at that. <laughs> but I need people who have different skill sets, um, whether it comes from the help with the Daniel Robinson Foundation that I do have. We look for people to be a part of the general board. We look for volunteers. So fill out that form. Uh, that's not only helping with Please Help Find Daniel side of things, but it helping with the Daniel Rawson Foundation side of things. And we need to learn people who what your skill sets are and how you can fit in uh, with our programs that we have going on with that. So also letter writing. Letter writing, this is the last thing. I, I know I have a lot. Um, letter writing uh, to the uh, Maricopa County Sheriff's Office. is. Uh, I've been trying for months, uh, you guys. I mean, over, I'll say over a year now to get Maricopa County to take this forensic. I'm paying out of my pocket, you guys. Uh-huh to house forensics. I'm not a forensic expert. I had to go on Google to learn how to properly store forensics to preserve them. And also I have the vehicle in another storage facility that is designed to house uh, evidence of uh, things like insurance is the facility for So that's, that's good, but it costs me money. So, but the thing is I'm paying for this and it's in jeopardy. You know, that's why I'm being asked for donations is in jeopardy of me losing this evidence forever. You know what I'm saying? If I can't pay the bill, for instance, yeah. what's going to happen? Right. So, um, so those things are very important. So we need those letters sent out to the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office to force their hand. And he held a facility. It's our tax dollars. That is a rapid DNA test. All they need to do is process the stuff. We get the information what happened to Daniel. Because I, I have all the evidence. I just need to tie these evidence together with the forensics. So if we can get the uh, Maricopa County Sheriff's Zone to do his job, we actually can get these things done. And the way they can do it is write a letter to Sheriff Paul Penzone. It's his name, Sheriff Paul Penzone. They can do it before January because he's not going up for re-election. But it's at five, five. Because that's what I was going to do to protest for his re-election <laughs> campaign. But, you know, but... He's not going up for re-election. Uh, 550 West Jackson Street in Phoenix, Arizona, 85003. They can write those letters. You can find it on the website as well. Same address. And write those letters to him and say, we demand you to do these uh, forensics and get these forensics done in the Daniel Rawson case because it needs to be done because they are in jeopardy of being lost. And it's, it's not easy for me to juggle everything in Arizona and juggle everything in South Carolina. I have a young daughter. I have I still have a mortgage. You know, just everything. So the everyday life yeah. and you know, I, I'm, it's in jeopardy being lost and I I don't want that to happen. We don't want that either. So we'll also put that address in the show notes and we'll also put that in our social media because we can definitely put the pressure on. I promise you this listenership can put the pressure on. And you had said that there was something going on with the foundation. Is the foundation still able to accept donations? Is able to accept donations, and I, what I have been doing is trying to not accept donations just yet because I want to. With me, I tell my team um, from the inside, you guys here, is that I want to be able to. If people donate. I want to be able to provide the service that the, that foundation is designed for because I've been through it with you know Daniel, and I know exactly what families are going through. I want to be able to hit the ground up and run. And I get somebody say, "Well, accept the money now, and then work on that later." But no, I want to be able to. Uh, have these things properly in place so when people donate their money, we're actually doing the work that they're donating for. So that's what I'm working on right now. So I'm kind of going to put that on a pause for now. That's why you'll hear me say a whole lot about Daniel Ross Foundation. Yeah. It's on pause for right now until we get those things together. 
And then once that happens, we'll move forward. You need to let us know yeah. because, listen, it's not one person giving $10,000. It's 10,000 people giving $5. That's right. You know, that's and right. that's what we want to do. We also have a donation from us at the podcast that when that's up and running that we want to give for $1,000. Oh, I appreciate that. That is truly the very least we can do, and we are in a position to do so because our listeners are so generous. And so when you get that up and running, we will definitely spread the word for anyone who is able to financially help in that way. In the meantime, we will try and get all of those calls to action together so that our community can help in whatever way they can. Thank you so much. David, we thank you so much for your time, for your heart, for your energy. Your son's case really did speak to us and our community. And it's funny that you say family because Joey and I say this all the time. We're just best friends, but we're family. That's right. I always say if people can hate people they don't know, you can love people you don't know. And we love you and we love your family. And you are welcome back anytime to share our platform, to talk to our listeners, because this is why we do this, you know? Thank you so much. I love you guys, too. And I really appreciate you uh, for even using, utilizing your platform to help. So thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you, you, David. We'll see you soon. You're the one that everyone can count on when they want it counted true. Always looking out. Everybody.